0: If you want to stick your fingers in places in your Bibles, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 1 and Psalm 139 uh, right off the bat here this morning. In a work of classic literature, Are You My Mommy? by Mae Brown, a little duckling is lost. It doesn't know who he is and it doesn't know who mom is. And so this little duckling goes to a bunny rabbit and goes to a horse and goes to a sheep and goes to a cow asking the question, are you my mommy? Because the little duckling doesn't know who or what he is. If you like something a little more up to date, in the two towers, when the orcs and the urukai are coming up to Helm's Deep, the people of Rohan are locked into Helm's Deep. There is no way out. They're safe and secure right now, but here comes the storm of assault. And the king turns to his aide, gambling, and says, Who am I, gambling? Today, man is lost. Some are lost from birth, and they don't know who they are in the cosmos. Who am I? I don't know. For some of us, when we are pressed by the assault of the world, when we are oppressed by enemies and foes, that which we thought we were certain of begins to cause us to tremble, and we wonder, who am I? Thankfully, our God and Savior does not leave his creatures to surmise, but he starts his very word to us with an anchor, for our place in the cosmos he gives us a sure place for us to stand in the midst of the quicksand of our culture a place from which we as his saints can shine like stars in a very dark place this week we are going to look at these fundamental verses my intention was to look at how each one of us is created in the image of the living god and to talk about how God has made us male and female. And if I did that, we would be here probably till two. So (laughs) yesterday afternoon, I cut it in half. Um, Hopefully later this fall, we are going to look at the importance of how God indeed created each one male and female. But that flows out from the fundamental truth that we were all, each one, created in the image of God. So as we go to that this morning, let's bow our hearts uh, in prayer. Father God, you know that we are inadequate for such things. We are unable to discern these things like a little duck apart from you, our living God, objective and outside of us to speak in and tell us who we are. Otherwise, we would be lost in the woods. And so this morning, we thank you for the truth of your word as your sure and steady anchor for our souls, a rock we can cling to when our culture assaults us, even when perhaps our own families berate us, perhaps even when our own desires betray us. So, God, by the power of the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would guard my lips, that you would guard our hearts, And that through the truth of your word that you would do your good work in us and uphold us in this day and going forward. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Our primary passage this morning is in Genesis chapter 1, starting in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Now, much can be said here about the dominion that God has given man and the stewardship God has given man. That is not going to be the intention or point of these messages here, but to look specifically at the fact that we were created we were made in god's image now when somebody looks back at this passage they're gonna go well that's just kind of general that's that was that was back then and now since then biology biology has just taken place and that's gone forward from there and i would say no that's not true this is true of every individual person so flip over we'll come back to genesis chapter one flip over to psalm 139 Elaine read that for us. This is David under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit speaking to us even today in verse 13. David said, for you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. This is not just biology. This isn't just processes taking over this is the living god active in what's going on in the womb right now and david recognizes that and he calls out i praise you for i am fearfully and wonderfully made not one of you here is a mistake each one is created by God for this time, for this season, as Paul noted in Acts earlier. For God's purpose, for God's pleasure, for God's glory, that we might seek him, that we here even might know this one. So let's, let's step back and kind of go, well, what is this? What is this image of God in man? Well, the image of God in man is immaterial. It is not physical because God is spirit. Jesus Christ tells the woman uh, in Samaria at the well that God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. John 4, 4. So when it says we are created in God's image, it is not meaning our hands and our feet and our noses and such like. We will see throughout scripture, there are anthropomorphisms where God's eyes scanned the land, where the right hand of God worked salvation. Those are anthropomorphisms. That is a figure of speech to help us understand ultimately what God is doing at that time. So if God is, is spirit, then the image of God that is in man must be an immaterial thing, a spiritual thing. So I'd like to look at, uh, let's see, five ways, good math, five ways uh, that we see God's image in man. The first way is that man is moral. Man is a moral creature. Within us, we have an inherent right and wrong. God speaks in his word of our conscience. Our conscience is either being seared in our own sin or our consciences, consciences being cultivated in the ways of the Holy Spirit. We have an innate sense of justice that the world can't answer. Where is that? How do you? Why is it that you hear about some atrocities out there happen to a child and you go, oh, you, you just recoil at this. You go, this is wrong. In your mind, you know this is sick. And that is across cultures. That is across sexes. That's across age groups. It is natural within us. The animal kingdom knows no such thing. The animal kingdom is red in tooth and claw. They will eat their own. Literally. Man, however, is moral. Man is also creative. Man is creative in beautiful ways. He is like God in this. This is evidenced uh, by Solomon. As, as if you read through Ecclesiastes, uh, he speaks of all that he did, all that he created. Solomon was extraordinary. The temple of Solomon apparently was extraordinary in its building. But Solomon says in Ecclesiastes chapter 1 and verse 4, I made great works. I built houses, planted vineyards for myself. I made myself gardens and parks and planted in them all kinds of fruit trees. I made myself pools from which to water the forest of growing trees. When God called for the tabernacle to be made, he called for the tabernacle to be crafted by men beautifully and God gifted men to do that with pomegranates and and different colors and tapestries. It was beautiful. It was a tent and it was beautiful because man like God is creative. Now we are different from God in our creativity in that God creates from nothing. God speaks and it comes to be. I need a palette and paint. I can't just speak, and it comes to be. Now, secular man has little to explain this creative desire for painting beautiful things. There's no good evolutionary reason for such things. God has created man creative. God has created man Communicative. We communicate. We speak with one another. God is that way. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1.1. 1, 1. If you go back to Genesis 1.1, 1, 1, in the beginning God said, let there be light. God spoke, and it came into be. We see God is a God who communicates with language Right away. Well, you might go, well, the whales in the ocean communicate too. Okay. They echolocate to find krill. And to find each other. But do they hold these truths self-evident? Do they discuss the times that try men's souls? Do they write poetry? Poetry? good and evil man is a man who communicates it's very interesting if you look at the languages that are out there today there are people who study linguistic history and you go let's go back and figure out what the common tongue was and they keep coming to dead ends they go back and study languages and they go only so far and they go well this one can't connect with this one because there's nothing in common between the two of them and there's like 100, some would argue 140, some would argue 70 in there. But there's a mess of languages that go back only so far and no further. You go, what explains this unique array of language apart from God and his word? You go, well, if we all descended from Adam, then there was a single language. And we go, yes, we get that. And Noah, on the boat, with his three sons, wife, and their wives, one language. And they come off the boat, one language, until Babel. And God confused the languages. Where do all the languages come from? Evolutionists have no answer. And the Christians are going, uh, Hey, God's word tells us plainly where all of these languages come from God creates man to communicate and we communicate with him God communicates with us in language God has given us his word to hear to be instructed to be nourished that we might be complete lacking in nothing why would we neglect such a thing God created man As a communicating being. But man is also relational. And we see the relationship within the Trinity right away. Let us make man in our image. Okay. You you hear the words of the Trinity in the very first chapter of Genesis. We see it in the New Testament. As God speaks from heaven and the Holy Spirit descends on God the Son as he's coming out of the water during Baptism, behold my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. if you go back before in the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth, there was God, God in perfect relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, God who needed nothing again, Act seventeen, Paul said that to the, the folks at Athens he, he doesn 't need a temple, he doesn't need you, he doesn 't need our offerings. God needs nothing. God is gracious to create us that we might know him. But he was in perfect relationship for eternity past. And he desires relationship with us now. And he created us to have relationship with one another in ways that far surpasses the animal kingdom. We have a family structure. You go, well, so do the orangutans. Okay, great. We have churches. We have teams. We have governments that are set up and structures that, again, are far and away beyond what is in the animal kingdom. But God has created us not to be isolated, not to be a lone person on an island. God created us to be with one another that we would exhort and encourage and spur one another on toward Christ-likeness. And we saw here also, and we're not going to get into it heavily, but man ha- God has given man dominion. As God has authority over the cosmos, we are his regents on this earth. He has given to us the stewardship of the world. He has given parents the stewardship of their children. He has given bosses the stewardship of their organizations. We read about that in Romans chapter 13. There is no authority except that which has been established by God. Secular man is going to try and understand these things, but everything is on a very base level and not near to the exquisite beauty that God has given us In his word. God tells us here in the creation account that man is exceptional among all his creatures. This is the last thing that God created before he rested on the seventh day. God created man in his own image and then he rested. He created us that we might know him and his glory. Psalm 19, what a, what a beautiful psalm that starts out declaring the heavens declare the handiwork of God. And eight verses talk about God's glory in the heavens. And if you're a stargazer, you know that. You know how amazing that is. Early risers see the rises around here or the sunsets, the heavens declare the handiwork of God but Psalm 1 or Psalm 19 goes on to talk about the beauty of the law, the beauty of the truth of God to us. And we see his glory in the word, we see his glory in the heavens. That is how God created us, to enjoy these things, to glorify him in these things. John 17 verse 3 talks about how God created us that we might know him, that we might know that glory. Jesus says in his prayer the night before he was executed, this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. This is eternal life. This is eternal life. It's not dancing through the streets. It's not playing golf on perfect golf courses. It's not doing things. It's God, that we may know him and his glory forever. All the rest of it is going to be gravy and whipped cream. Okay, (laughs) seeing family members uh, not aching anymore. Eternal life, that we might know God. He created us also that we might reflect his glory. Not just that we would bask in His glory, but that we would reflect it to others. Jesus said this very thing in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 16. He said, Let your light shine before others, so that they may see your good works and glorify your Father who is in heaven. At the end of 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul makes the same charge to the Corinthian church. He says, whether you eat or drink, I mean, how common a thing, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God, our lives, all of it from our waking to our lying down should be for God's glory. He created us to that end. Not that we might just know his glory, not that we might just reflect his glory, but But believe it or not, you are to enjoy him. You are intended to enjoy God. Psalm 16 is, is probably one of the sweetest pictures of how we are to enjoy the living God. The psalmist notes in Psalm 16, verse 11, In your presence there is fullness of joy. And so you have to ask yourself, what is man that you you are mindful of us? What is it? Psalm 8. What, what is man I mean uh, we know our own hearts, we know our own frailties, we know our, know our own foibles, and you go, God, oh, God, that you would that you would lavish such love upon me. There's no hint that any other creature in the cosmos is like man. Now we know that. Angels are relational, they have knowledge, they have communication skills, they do God's bidding. But nowhere does it hint that angels are created in the image of God. They are his created servants. Now, we might think, oh, well, that was, that was originally. But we sinned, and we know about the fall. Romans chapter 5, verse 12 says, sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sin. None of you. Me. All of us, from conception, have broken relationship with God and with one another. We speak of it here from the pulpit often. We are at war against God in our flesh, in our nature. We are at war against each other husband against wife, sister against sister, saint against saint. But that image is not removed. The image is tainted, broken, marred, but it is not removed. It is not taken from us. After the flood in Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6, we'll talk about this here in just a little bit. God institutes capital punishment. And he does so by appealing to the creation. He said in Genesis 9 and verse 5, For your lifeblood I will require a reckoning. From every beast I will require it and from man. From his fellow man I will require a reckoning for the life of man. Then he explains why in verse 6. Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For God made man in his own image. That's why. So each one, even today, everyone bears the image of God. Now, again, what, what, what does secular man say about this greatness of man and also this despicable nature in man they have nothing to say they can't secular man in truth has no answer and this is why when evil happens when the uvaldi shooting happens when the shooting in tennessee happens the first question on every news site is why and they begin to dig in the guy's paths and wonder oh you know Was he, did he grow up poor? Uh, Was he picked on in school or, or, or things like that? And I'm not saying that those things don't have an effect, but the thing that really has the effect is right there. Sin in my own heart. They have secular man has no root for evil. From whence cometh evil. David Attenborough, I don't know if some of you have watched the video series Planet Earth. He's got a very, very sophisticated British accent and is perfect for narrating Planet Earth. But it's a very evolutionary series. Beautiful, fantastic. I would say it declares the glory of God. But they turn it very evolutionary. He, David Attenborough, says man is a plague to the planet. Okay. Is that all you got? Um, in the 60s, there was a French molecular biologist named Jacques Monod. He said, chance alone is at the source of every innovation, of all creation in the biosphere. If man accepts this message, accepts all it contains, so if you, if you, if you run that out to its logical end, then man must at last wake out of his millenary dream, and then in doing so, wake to his total solitude, his fundamental isolation. He lives on a boundary of an alien world, a world that is deaf to his music and just as indifferent to his hopes as it is to his suffering or his crimes. Meaningless. He goes on. If this is so, then we cannot derive any ought from the is. Based on what's out there, I can't say you should do this. You ought to do this. There is no law. It just is. Jean-Paul Sartre, French atheist, philosopher, playwright, says man is nothing else but what he purposes. He exists only insofar as he realizes himself. He is therefore nothing else but the sum of his actions. Nothing else but what life is. You are you. It should come as no surprise then in this lost and dying world that people are out there, all they're doing is seeking their own pleasure. You be you. That's that's what these guys are saying in a lot more sophisticated language. If you espresso shot the thing down, you be you. And Paul, Paul would agree with that. The Apostle Paul said, if the resurrection is not true, if all of this is a sham, then eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die. But it's true. But the resurrection did happen. Christ is, God did speak, and you are created in the image of God. So there's five implications I'd like to touch on. There are way more, but I'll, let's touch on five implications to the fact that we are created in the image of God. First, first thing to be aware of is that there is no worthless soul. There is no worthless soul. It is from this that love your enemies comes. Love your neighbor as yourself. Why? Because there's no worthless soul. Everyone is created in the image of God and is deserving of worth. C.S. Lewis noted that there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal. And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. But our merriment with them must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. No flippancy, no superiority, no presumption. From the littlest to the Oldest to the smallest to the largest created in the image of God. Saint, we will never meet someone who is not of inestimable value. A homeless man on the street, a shameless pop star, a prideful preacher, a corrupt politician, the most inconsiderate boss, the most imperfect parent, the most sin-riddled man. Neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. But these are all created in the image of God. And Paul points the finger back and says, And such were some of you. The one going to heaven, the one going to hell, is all. They're all created in God's image and is worthy of. Our time. There is no worthless soul. Second, we ought to ache for the lost soul. This is a soul everyone created to have eternal fellowship with the living God. And they're hurtling toward hell. And we are busy. This is what Francis Schaefer says this. We spend most of our time and money for things that will end up in the city dump. I mean, what are we doing with our lives? Do I care about the eternal state of my family and friends and my co-workers? This is why Peter calls to us to be ready to make a defense to anyone who asks us for a reason for the hope that is in us. But to do so with gentleness and respect. First Peter 3, verse 15. Paul encourages the Colossians to always let their speech be gracious Seasoned with salt so that they may know how to answer each person. That should be us also. Colossians 4 and verse 6. We ought to have a heart for the lost. There's also a place for capital punishment. Genesis 9, 5 and 6. I already already read it. God calls man to be accountable to other men. If somebody takes the life of a man, verse 6, nine, Genesis 9, whoever sheds the blood of a man, by man shall his blood be shed, for God made man in his image. Paul notes the same thing in Romans 13 and verse 4, that the sword is not given to the governor in vain. God declares, not man, this isn't something we came up with, that the one who considers the image of God in man is worthy of murder. If, if If I don't care and I kill that person, I have forfeit my life because I don't care about the image of God. My assault is not against a man, it is. Higher still, it is against God and his image. And God says to us, that is unacceptable. And so he delegates to us that responsibility. In doing this, it is important that we do not do this in arrogance. For he who has hated another has committed murder in his heart already. We don't do it with condescension. Well, that scum of the earth. We do it with heavy hearts and sober minds. Our souls should resonate for justice to be done. And God has delegated it to us in this earth. We must hold fast to the truth at the same time, recognizing our own sin and his great grace. Fourth, there's a place for the saving of the lives of innocents. There is a difference between the criminal life and the innocent life. The cynic's going to throw that in my face and go, well, you're a Christian. You say, there is none righteous, no, not one. I go, yeah, you're right. But ultimate judgment is God's and not mine. But in government, he has delegated to us civilization here in this realm, law and order. It is not my place for eternal condemnation. It is his. In this life, there is a distinction between a baby and a murderer or a rapist. Such things are of such a scale that God expects his creatures to bring justice in this life to one who has committed a crime. So we have a responsibility in this world to care for those who are innocent of crime, for those whose lives are in jeopardy, the child in the womb, perhaps even the mother carrying that child. We have a responsibility to orphans and widows who could be taken advantage of. We have a responsibility to those who are enslaved. We have a responsibility toward sojourners who are in our land. So it is no small thing. Capital punishment and caring for the innocents. These go hand in hand. Lastly, if the rubber is to meet the road, we need to care for each other. We are to love one another. And proximity is huge. I mean, we are in this church together. And we have a responsibility for one another, for the suffering that we go through to provide and care for each other. Primary to that though, we have a responsibility for our families. I have a responsibility also because of proximity to my neighbors. I have a greater responsibility to Jeff and Betsy than I do to some guy in Omaha, Nebraska that I don't know. I have a responsibility to those in my community. These implications of the image of God in man are just the tip of the iceberg. Hand in hand with this truth is the fact that God did not merely create us in his image, but he has created us male and female. And we will talk about that at another day. The little duckling finally discerned who he was because his mother found him and said, I am your mother. God has found each one of us. Like the shepherd who goes out to seek the lost lamb, he has found each one and he has brought us face to face with him. I am your God and you are created in my image. Today, if you don't know him, if you, don't, well, if you don't know him, know that your sin stands as an obstacle between you and him. From you ever coming to him, you can't, but he can. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ that pays for our sin, he reaches and redeems us. You need merely to take hold of that free gift. To repent of your sin and believe in Christ's finished work and return to the God who made you to delight in him. To the rest of us, know the value of your being. You're not valuable because somebody complimented on your bow tie. You're not valuable because of your job. You are valuable because you are his and are created in his image. And I hope that we understand and fathom the value of those who are all around us and live in a manner worthy of bearing the image of the sovereign of the universe. Let's pray. God, such such a weighty truth. I beg that your truth would sink deep into our heart and that we would live this truth in our own lives, and amongst our brothers and sisters, and amongst our families, that you would be glorified. Oh God, we beg, as we go from this place, give us eyes to see and ears to hear those who are hurting, and help us to extend a hand to those who desperately need you as God and Savior. We beg this in Jesus' name. Amen.